If you're ready to learn how technology is driving business innovation in Cincinnati and beyond, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Join us for interviews and discussions with business leaders, innovators, and visionaries. With our host, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software, this is Unstoppable Talk. So this is our very first episode of Unstoppable Talk, where we're going to discuss driving innovation using technology in Cincinnati and beyond. For this first episode, we thought we would get together and just talk a little bit about what it's like to be a professional software developer out there in the world and our backgrounds and how we arrived at it and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I have with me here on the podcast, Scott Harrison, who's out in Colorado Springs who's one of our senior developers, and also Nate Stuhler, who is here in Cincinnati and is also one of our senior developers. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> so, guys, uh, I thought we would just talk a little bit about, uh, kick this initial podcast off a little bit, just talking about, like I said, who we are and our backgrounds. Um, you know, our plan is for this podcast to bring people in for interviews that are doing cool things out there in their business or in their businesses with, with technology uh, and really doing a lot of innovative stuff. Some of them projects we work on, some of them companies are doing internally or startups people are doing, um, unique services people are providing. But really to for folks to get a context about any of those conversations we have, I thought it'd be good, like I said, to talk about sort of our background. So I just came up with a series of questions that we pulled off Cora here that are the most common questions that people ask uh, about software development as a profession. And hopefully there's new or young software developers out there or people who want to become software developers out there who might listen to this and gain something from it. So first question everybody wants to know is how did you become a software developer? Nate, you want to start off? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Nathan Stuhler. Yeah, my journey probably started just growing up being pretty good at math and in high school getting started with a TI-81 graphing calculator where I, my uncle gave me a program that I had to hand type in to determine the answer for the quadratic formula. And just going through that and entering all the steps, it just started to make sense and also sparked an interest in looking up in the manual what do these commands mean and from there that just turned into many more programs that went on to that calculator and then after that went into computer science degree at the ohio state university and entry-level jobs and after that and just going forward and working on the career after that now is the ohio state university the official name or do you have to say the in front of absolutely. it absolutely okay i wasn't sure people do point of pride yeah okay <laughs> Gotcha. Because there's like others otherwise, I suppose. No, no. It's just <laughs> the university, effectively. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> what about you, Scott? Uh, yeah, this is Scott Harrison out in Colorado Springs. And uh, let's see, from before I can remember, I've always been interested in automation, artificial automation, you know, robots and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, watching. Uh, movies where there was a mad scientist who had his entire home automated and um, I don't know the the guy on um, 
chitty chitty bang bang, how he just pulled things together and made them work. And that's always been, and then, but really got me uh, interested in, I had a conversation with a guy worked for IBM in the seventies. And we were talking about the innovation of the microchip and miniaturization of transistors. And he was trying to explain it to me. And that's, I think, when I really got interested in it. Then went into accounting in, um, in, uh, in, in college and hated it. And then got away from it and started going into programming. My first language was COBOL. And I learned everything I could about COBOL. And uh, never quite used it when I got out of college. Guess you're lucky. Yeah, just went right into the first thing is that someone asked me if I could program this uh, this PC computer, and I said, "What's on there?" And said, uh, "DBase 2." So I learned DBase 2, and that was the beginning of it, and it's all history from there. Went from DBase 2 to to uh, C, to C Sharp, to pretty much stayed on the Microsoft platform ever since then. But my interest has always been, how can I make this work better? And just the organization of information uh, has always piqued my interest. Yeah. It's funny. I, I mean, I've worked with you guys for a long time. I mean, Nate, almost 10 years and Scott for what, almost eight years, I think in November. And I don't think I've ever heard either of those background stories exactly. <laughs> so it's like, how did we miss that? <laughs> I should guess I should have asked that in the interview. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, something I've, I've done a lot recently in the last four or five years is meet with, you know, like I said, young students that are maybe freshmen in college and something like that. And they're always asking this, this question of me, which is the next question, which is, you know, what's your, what's your best piece of advice for someone who wants to become a software developer? Yeah, to me, it's all about picking a project that you're interested in and actually doing it because you can't just learn all the theory. It's, you kind of can in a university setting, but even that, in a lot of ways, doesn't actually prepare you for doing the job. So that's always my first my first general advice is what is something you want to do with it? And if you have that idea, then you can start applying your learning. And then we could go into a whole other list of things to do to try and learn. Yeah. So find a project that you can kind of pour yourself into rather than just reading manuals or something, actually find some kind of something to actually yeah. solve a problem to solve or something to work on. Cool. Exactly. How about you, Scott? If you want to become a, a software developer, pick something, you know, like C sharp, just learn as much as you can about it. And if you have access to college courses, that's really good. And if you have access to Udemy, I mean, Udemy is a really good source for some really good teaching for beginners just to get started. Learn as much as you can. And like Nate was saying, take on a project. You just jump in and start doing it. Mm -hmm. Try to get advice, uh, programming reviews, code reviews from people 
who've been in the industry for a while and say, how does this look? Is this right? Is this, is this the style, you know, and make friends with experienced developers. And uh, the, the biggest thing is, is always push yourself to that next level. Uh, just keep pushing the edge of the envelope. And when you, you know, when you think you're sick and tired and you said, this is not for me, Wait for the next day, you know, everything's going to be different. (laughs) (laughs) And those are the things I experienced over and over and over in my career is that, you know, things become so complex. You just sleep on it and you can see the light again. It all comes clear at that point. Yeah, that's a really good note about Udemy too, because something I've often found is when I identify that project or something I want to do, in an area that I don't know that much about. I have a general grasp of what I need to know. So I'll look at Udemy. I'll look at a few different sources, Coursera or a couple other things like that, lynda.com. And there's there's many more, but those are some of the bigger ones. And just check it out with my couple keyword search items on what the technology is and see which one seems like it's the most applicable to what I want to learn. And then go through it right there. And a lot of times those things are very aligned with what you're trying to do. And it can be very helpful. Like, for example, I've the first time I had to integrate Stripe into a website, lynda.com, I think was the one. Or no, that one was Pluralsight. That's another example. So that one had a perfect course that mm-hmm. was like exactly what I wanted to do with Stripe. And there you go. I go through that. It's almost step by step at that point. And granted, I had a lot more experience where it was easier to take the lessons that they were showing me and apply them. But I just find that usually between some of the top five course vendors out there, there's usually something that's pretty applicable. Yeah, something I wanted to add to it, too, is when you're just starting out, don't try to be all things to all people. You know, you don't have to know everything. Pick a language like, you know, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and become the best you can at that. And um, maybe WordPress, jump into WordPress and become the best you can at that. And those are good places to start. And then once you've somewhat mastered that and become really, and, and become fluent in those languages and be able to write an application, put it out there, for people to use, then start branching out, go to the next language, then go to the next language. And um, because no one, there's no one person in this world that knows everything. There's no way. And stay on a platform until you become really good at it. Yeah. You know, one thing I've always told um, high school kids, you know, seniors in high school or, or, you know, young college folks is like, Along the lines of, you know, getting hands-on experience and the project is like, do do everything you can to get some kind of internship. It doesn't matter if it pays less, you know, uh, if it's working in the library at, at school and write a program while you're there, you know, and, or just say, hey, I'll, you know, go to some local nonprofit and say, hey, I'll build you a database, you know, whatever it takes, because, you know, I think that was what made a huge difference for me getting out into the field is that I was lucky enough to have some really great internships at 
maybe two or three different companies uh, while I was in college after high school and, and through college that I came out and said, look, I've got experience with Java, you know, and at that time, nobody had experience with Java. And, you know, a lot of my friends who just sort of worked as a lifeguard or in a restaurant or something like that, because it was maybe they didn't, maybe they couldn't find anything else or whatever the reason was, I think that slowed them down. So I just think getting, you know, real world experience as soon as possible, even if you do it for free is, is better than, better than nothing. Completely agree. That's my yeah. Even a computer science yeah. degree doesn't guarantee you a entry-level job in programming right out of school. So it didn't for me. Yep. Yep. Well, that kind of brings me a little bit, uh, yeah, totally. And that kind of brings me a little bit to next question, which, you know, you see a lot of these boot camp type programs out there and there's a lot of them that are really popular nowadays that, you know, they promise you come in for 90 days and you learn to be a software developer. I think there's upside to those because like we said, you're getting practical hands-on experience but at the same time, I've talked to a lot of folks that come out of those and they're not really any better off. It does, you know, it didn't end up in them getting a job, right? So there is that, there's that gap of it's like if you work for two or three summers in an internship, that's enough experience to land uh, a job. But if you have two months experience in a one of those sort of accelerator programs or whatever you want to call them type thing, it seems like it's almost not enough out there in the market, you know? And, uh, and I guess the question is, is how do you go from, how do you kind of plan your career from going, starting out as a software developer to become a senior or lead software developer, sort of like as you guys are, you know, are, and are those sort of accelerators a good, a good way to go about that? I mean, those didn't really exist sort of 15 years ago when we were starting out, right? Or whatever, 25 years ago. I view the boot camps as more of a kickstart to the entry level career. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, so yeah, we're not really saying for someone who's already in a programming career and then takes one of those boot camp courses yeah, and then, yeah, exactly. I'm saying people, people starting out. Cause I mean, you know, the way it's advertised is you come for 90 days and then you, you graduate and boom, you're a software developer magically. I don't know if that actually works, is my opinion. I, I'm cynical about them in the sense that I feel like it's you're gonna get what you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. It's pretty much going back to the same piece of advice. If you have something that you can apply what you learn to, and you can demonstrate that you learned it after the fact, then you're gonna learn more, and you're gonna have something that you can actually demonstrate. And it goes also along with what you're saying about how you need something that you can show basically on your resume that you actually know how to program in a real world environment because the academic pursuits of it are much different than what it actually happens when you're trying to code and, oh, yeah. and actually That's produce something <laughs> and produce software for users. Yeah, because yeah, in the same way on that, on the, on the boot camps, and, and they're just another tool. Like any, like an online, a long online class or an, a 90 day immersion 90 days is a long time though for something like that but coupling that with an internship is, is probably a really really good way to go i mean i think some to some degree 
a better avenue if if you get out with a computer science degree or even just any kind of IT degree and and you're finding that you can't get a position writing code it's you know you could take a, a position in QA or in any kind of support around the software i mean you know i've worked at startups in the past that said you know basically your first 90 days on the job you were a QA person because they wanted you to learn you know their code base by debugging and they're like, you're not, you don't get to write new code yet. So, I mean, I, I think that another can be a way, way to do it. Is, another way in is a business analyst. Sure. Um, and they're always looking for good business analysts. Yeah. Well, it's funny because in college I took, uh, you know, of the maybe whatever, 20 some courses in computer science, there was one that was like system design architecture. And it basically it was writing requirements, right? And I think, but in the real world, that's probably been at least 60% of my time is dealing with like requirements and scope and project plans, maybe not 60%, but certainly a big chunk of time out of, you know, all the times, but, you know, depending where you're at, I mean, if you're at a place that has a lot of meetings and, or is a really complex system or something, it seems like it's not one twentieth of your time. You got to worry about requirements. And that's sort of that a little bit of that real world versus academic stuff too, you know, because the academic projects didn't even really have requirements most of the time, you know. Yeah, that leads in a bit to what I would answer as how to become a senior software developer because if you're thinking about business and analysis and gathering requirements, that is a little more of a soft skill, but it's thinking about how the software will actually be used and what the user needs out of it. Whereas an entry-level programmer may just be writing code that fulfills those requirements in the most isolated and technical way and without actually thinking about the big picture. So going forward, you start thinking more and more about the software engineering aspects, which is how do all these requirements fit into the whole release cycle of the software, as well as the project management. Like what are some other resources that might be working on this? What has to happen first? To me, that's where that junior developer becomes more of a senior one. It's a little bit also they're growing their technical skills, but I think it's more seeing the big picture with those other soft skills. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, you know, on the topic of soft skills, because I've known folks who were just absolutely incredible code writers, but had no communication skills. And then folks who really understood, you know, why a business was building something and could, and could sort of sit on the fence a bit between business and, and technology. And usually those folks went farther in terms of getting promoted or, or getting more responsibility. Because usually the folks that are like just amazing at, at just super, super genius code writers, you can't afford to take them off of writing code to do anything. You know, you just, you want them to just pound away at the keyboard and that's it. And so I think to some degree, depending on I guess, depending on the way that you interpret the the title senior developer, you know, whether it's lead developer or architect or department head or whatever, usually, at, at least in most companies, I don't know that that's necessarily always the quote unquote best coder. I think a lot of times that's a person who has better soft skills and, or at least is an, is a, you know, mix 50, 50 of technical and soft skills, just like any profession probably. Cool. Yeah, more to what uh, Nate was saying about uh, discipline, uh, good, strong work ethic and self-confidence, I think are are good at 
building a career, just the discipline to stay with it, you know, uh, just keeping at it every day, strong work ethic, self-confidence, good communication skills are really good soft skills to, to have when learning, because a lot of these things you're working autonomously, you probably won't be having a lot of guidance from a from a team lead or from someone in with expertise in the field. Yeah. I agree. And and I wanted to go back for maybe our last question or our theme for this podcast overall is talking about innovation, right? And so when you all look out at, you know, the software companies, the big software companies out in the field today, out in the in the industry, you know, who do you think or who in your opinion is is really doing some of the most innovative things when it comes to software tools or sort of driving platforms you know what what are you kind of seeing out there that if you look at the things that's you know the platforms and the tools that folks might might want to really get into that are going to be you know say maybe three years from now really be the thing that everybody's talking about who do you think is what companies are really kind of driving that innovation in the industry well, I'll choose to answer it the way I want to, which is not so much what's three or four years out that everybody's going to be talking about, but I'm thinking it's Amazon. And just I'm so impressed with Alexa that it's like this black box little container that mostly just works. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the it's still the leader in that audio recognition and just being our personal assistant and that's just going to become more and more involved in our life and then when you throw in that all the scope of the things that they do like having their aws their server platforms and everything for that it's just there's so much going on that they're innovating all over the place yeah no definitely and and i haven't talked to you guys about this but i'm working on a setting up a relationship with a company that builds um voice recognition sort of data management profiles for Alexa that would be a product that we could bring into some of our clients, but basically like a way to use Alexa to access your business data, anything from mainframe data to manufacturing data, healthcare data, the type of stuff that we're always building, using Alexa to to access that. And it's it's pretty incredible how good it is. Like I saw they they were in here in the office last week giving me a demo on Friday, uh, this company was. I mean... (laughs) It can understand such incredibly complex questions and then basically tell you the answer to your question about a KPI or something like that that you need to know for your manufacturing line. It's pretty incredible. But what do you what do you think, Scott, on that question of who's driving innovation? Well, what I'm uh, looking at specifically uh, this week is uh, Microsoft's Blazor. It's just the next step in in application development. And the the biggest takeaway from that is what I've learned so far is that they're hiding the complexities of of the asynchronous communications between the client and the server and just making that easier and less complex to program so you're not so busy doing that kind of work and you're spending more time on the the problem you're trying to solve. I think that's I think Microsoft has always been with developer tools 
just right there. I've, I've always been very satisfied with them and I haven't really looked elsewhere for other software development tools. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's all we had for this podcast. And uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Scott and Nate, for your opinions and, and feedback and insights into what you all have done in your career and what you kind of see coming up. And we'll look forward to talking to you all with you all more in the future. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Talk. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure to support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And learn more about this show by heading over to unstoppablesoftware.com. Until next time, keep innovating.